to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue our study and as you're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 I'd like to point out someone special in the service all of you are special but someone that's uh, got that special emblem on their forehead or, or on their side of their head and that is Julianne <laughs> now I want you to tell the crowd what Bobby, how he spells, what he spells from that. You remember? Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. So you'll catch on later. Okay. That's who we're going to be talking about today, Jesus. You know, if someone wants to know if there's a God, if someone wants to know if there's a creator, man, we were out in the yard the other night after the rain it was brisk it was cool looking up at the skies how in the world can someone not think that there's a creator I mean you look across the skies and you see these beautiful white dots just splashed over a dark background that Jesus that the Lord that God has painted up there that's thrown into position you know, you look up and you see the moon, you see the stars, you see the planets. You, you may even get a glimpse of a meteorite uh, streaking across the Milky Way. And you say, wow, what beauty. And imagine, as you see that, that's only a little speck of what God has created. I mean, we only get to see a little of what the, the, the universe and all that be, is beyond that, what exists there. They say that there is an X-ray telescope, NASA has. It's Candra, uh, I believe, or uh, C-H-A-N-D-R-A X-ray absor uh, Observatory. And they say that the most powerful X-ray telescope circles the Earth. And it observes the universe and... Uh, what exists beyond that and the power of the telescope they say would allow a person to read a newspaper get this a newspaper from half a mile away boy wouldn't you like to have eyes that strong that good you know sometimes when I'm reading I'd like to or see letters of a stop sign from 12 miles away that's powerful they say that they are using this technology to discover the amazing phenomena, such as black holes, exploding stars, and far away exploding galaxies. And in this way, they're seeing the real universe. Now, I want, this is very important. They're able to see more of the real universe. People, this is what parables about. Jesus is opening the eyes to the disciples to see what the world cannot see because they're limited in their vision. To see and understand the scripture they're not, that they're, not under, uh, they're able to understand. You see, the Holy Spirit enlightens us. He opens up our minds to, the, uh, to this truth. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that and see that is when the Holy Spirit starts convicting us and starts revealing to us and, and showing us this is truth. We had better 
by faith, the candle of faith, say, Lord, open my eyes to the truth. Help me to see. The disciples were having their eyes open to the truth. We just saw Jesus answering a question that the disciples had asked earlier with this first parable, and that is, why do you speak in parables? Here's this big crowd, Lord. You're the Messiah. Man, they're ready. Let's go take Rome. Man, get them and, and let's get them to follow you. And we'll set up your kingdom. Jesus said, you don't understand yet. Let me tell you these stories. And then we tend to look at these just like they do sometimes. And we look at them as mere fables. But they're not just mere fables. What Jesus is telling them is more than just a story that's making a moral point. You may get that, and you do get that with some Psalms and, and Proverbs, but Jesus is not giving us Psalms and Proverbs for that point here. What he's telling us is he's telling us that there is meaning here, that there is a point here to this parable. And I'm talking about with these parables he's telling them about the kingdom. The kingdom that I'm going to set up. The kingdom right now that is being set up in the hearts and lives of believers who believe in me. But the kingdom that will eventually usher in the kingdom that will be set up for Israel. And then a new heaven and new earth. He says this is just the beginning. Every one of the parables is pointing to something that is meaningful. And it is pointing here to the reality of the kingdom of God. And Jesus gives us these compact stories to help us see what we need to see and what we need to understand. Matter of fact, Jesus had to tell them the meaning of the story to begin with at that point. They understood a lot more as they grew and as they uh, continued to follow the Lord but their eyes were open to more and more truth but especially after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to indwell them and to remind them of these truths we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us if we're believers today so the disciples were not getting all the point there they, they, they didn't get to all the meaning of the parables because they still had a little tunnel vision they weren't looking through the powerful telescope. And Jesus had to help them to see this, had to bring it in focus for them. Jesus tells the disciples that it is not I who don't understand these stories. It is you, and you don't understand what is happening. I'm wanting to show you, as he did last week with the soil, the different kind of soils. He said there is a crowd out there. But a lot of the crowd is like different soil. Some's hard, some's thorny. Some will, is rocky. And he said, it will not take the word. It will not allow the word to take root in their lives. He said, but there is a good soil. The good soil that you'll have. The good soil that you do have. And so he speaks to them as they do not see and they do not hear and they do not understand, but they are beginning to. And Jesus had spoken the different 
sharing with them the different soils. And, and he says, but there is a good soil. The good soil receives the word and bears fruit. And the powerful seed of the gospel falls on this good soil and brings forth good fruit. Some a hundredfold, it says, some 60 and some 30. And in verses, the verses today, he says, now I want to move to another parable. I've talked to you about the soils. I want you to understand that this crowd out here and the crowd that you'll face and the crowd that you'll preach the word of God to will have different kinds of hearts. Just because there is a big crowd doesn't mean that everyone that is listening wants to hear. That everyone that is listening will hear. That everyone that is listening will receive. He says, just because there's a big crowd doesn't mean that there's a great following uh, that you, of the word of God that you're preaching about. So he says, but let me share with you another one. I want to share with you, since there's different soil, and the three soils that don't receive the word, and the, the other soil that does receive the word, I want to break it down. The good soil and the bad soil. The good seed and the bad seed. So here he talks about the wheat and the tare. And he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed seed in his field. But while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while they are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat and with them and allow both to grow together into the harvest. And in time of the harvest, I will send or say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat unto my barn. We're back again to this agrarian uh, type of story that they could well understood because, or understand because they're of the country. And so they're in the countryside and Jesus is not giving them some short, pippy little saying, something sweet, something uh, that says nothing, something uh, like you might get maybe in a, a fortune cookie, you know? Uh, I, I got one the other day, and, and you know, it's like, uh, if you do good today, you'll feel good today. Well, you know, that's great. But where does that lead? Uh, God here is talking about, and he's giving him one thing for sure. He's letting them know something that the, our society does not like to hear, and especially our society today. And none of us like to speak about it that much, but it's judgment. He's talking about two ways, two destinies, two kinds of people. And the judgment of God is looming in this parable. And the judgment is coming, he says. Not right now, the judgment is coming. You may not think so. Have you ever heard people saying, well, you know, I don't know why God's not judging this world. The judgment is coming. Believe me, as much as we don't like to talk about it, as much as we don't like to hear it, the judgment is coming. And so looking with the kingdom eyes and seeing what others miss, hearing what others do not hear, he says, 
you hear this, the judgment is coming. And he, he had already told the disciples, for blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you saw. I'm right before you, and I'm teaching you, and what you're hearing. But they did not. And so, judgment is coming. It's something that is missing in our lives, unfortunately, today. Some people do not like to hear about it because it affects our lives, and it should affect our lives. You see, people live despicably today because one of the reasons is because there's no fear of judgment being announced. An author, E.M. McEwen, wrote a book, Atonement, and he's a, uh, an atheist. And he, he wrote an article after this in the British paper where he said, Quote, he was afraid to live among people who believed in a divine judgment that was coming. He was speaking, of course, of the eschatology, the theology of eschatology, the world as we know it coming to an end, the end time theology. And with this end of this world comes judgment. And he said those people who that believe that way scare him and others. He said that those people will do things in the name of their God which will be dangerous. This is what the world is saying. You Christians are dangerous if you preach about judgment. You're warping our mind and you're scaring us and scaring our children and scaring our generation and we just don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about love. Well, that's great. But with love is separation, isn't it? Those who really love God and those who don't. There is a judgment. And what the author doesn't understand is that it's more dangerous to live in a world that does not believe in judgment. It is more dangerous not believing that one day we'll be judged for our sins. It's more dangerous living in a world where people have no fear of wrongdoing. They do what is right in their own eyes. Because then you have a world with no moral accountability. Jesus is helping these disciples understand that there is judgment coming so first of all he talks about the reality of a division a great division there people there's going to be this great division i'm sorry but there is going to be a great division jesus public ministry is being received by some and rejected by others and at the end of the chapter we'll be reminded of what john said in the prologue of his gospel you remember what i read with faith he says jesus came into his own his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 57, basically he's saying the same thing. He says, and they took offense at me, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own home and in his own household. Here we have a great division. 
The division is about whether or not a person comes to faith and trust in Christ. Whether he should or not. And the disciples begin to see it and uh, they don't understand it all perfectly right now, but they begin to see it. One thing that I'll mention just a few moments. You know, first they asked him, why parables? Now they're saying, explain to me the parables. That shows a little growth, doesn't it? You see, the kingdom has its agenda. But that agenda is not the agenda for all. There's going to be a division. Some will not accept it. Some have a different agenda, a different goal, a different aim. And Jesus is telling about the kingdom in verses 24 through 30. And with the parable of the wheat and the tares, he, he says that the wheat has been sown, but an enemy comes in while they were sleeping and sows some weeds. And you can't tell the weeds from the tare or, or the tare from uh, the wheat from the tare until it grows up and matures and the heads begin to uh, show the difference where, which one is true which one is truly uh, the wheat and so they thought this was what the um, landowners should do the servants did and, and rightly so they, they, they said hey how about us gathering up the, the tares and he said no 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 he says, some of them have not, the wheat, some of the wheat has not matured yet, and so you don't know which ones are which. But you will in the end day. Because I'll send my reaper, and he will gather it up, and he will bundle the, uh, the, the tares in one bundle and burn them, and then he will put the wheat in my barn. Jesus is telling his disciples that in the world, we have both wheat growing and we have tear, good seed and bad seed. And we're not able to tell the difference a lot of times. But Jesus is warning, and, and so the Jesus is warning the, the disciples about this enemy who has come, and there will be with this crowd. You've already looked at it, and you thought that they were ready for me to be the Messiah, but they don't understand. They don't have their eyes and their ears open to the truth. And so most of them are here because of conflict. They're not here for following me. And so there is a division there. And what he's telling us here is, he's saying that the world is made up of believers and unbelievers. And that's very important because we'll talk about it in just a few moments. But... There is a misunderstanding with this, this passage. I preached it this way. I don't think the primary context is for the church. There are believers and unbelievers in the church. But he explains it as we'll get to in a few moments. And that is, this. he's talking about the world, isn't he? There are unbelievers and there are believers in the world. And they're going to be that way until the end day. And so... The confusion came up in the first century where they said, we believe it's the church primarily and completely. He's not talking about the world. Well, what they did was they said, okay, then let's take the meaning of that. Let's let them stay together and not worry about any church discipline and not worry about true membership. Let's just let them just go together until the end. And that was a tragedy, wasn't it? 
you don't do that. We do. Jesus will be teaching about church discipline, won't he? And, and the church is not made up. The true church is not made up of unbelievers, is it? There is not unbelievers in the true church. Now, I'm not talking about somebody puts their name on the roll or gets baptized. That, they may be a true believer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a true believer. Now, can it be in the church? Yeah. There will be believers and unbelievers in the church. But this is not the main context here. It includes more than that. You see, the church is, in, is a part of God's kingdom, isn't it? And that means God's kingdom is a rule and a reign. And so he's wanting us to know that he is in charge of everything. And, uh, and although he's in charge of everything, there is going to be people out there in the world that are going to be lost, that are going to be right alongside of you. And this is why evangelization is so important. This is why we just shouldn't, or we shouldn't just take a person's word that they are a believer. I remember when I was in Texas and we were out witnessing on the streets of downtown Dallas and we stopped, I stopped this car and I was giving out tracts and this was part of our uh, program to do in the, in the, uh, the uh, school. And so as, as I was sharing, I had to share real quick because the green light was about to come on. And there was a bunch of guys in there, man, they were having fun. I don't know if that was Texas, Oklahoma week where they were, they were there for the ball game or what. And, and I said, hey, uh, you know, are I want to share with you about Christians, about being a Christian. And, and I gave them track, and I said, do you know the Lord, and, and are you a Christian? And they said, of course we're Christians. Man, we live here in America, don't we? Well, this is kind of what Jesus is saying. There's going to be a lot of misconception about what a Christian is, about what being a part of God's kingdom is. And he says, because they don't see and they don't hear the truth. They don't see their sinfulness. They don't see their uh, unrighteousness. And they don't want to admit to that. And so in turn, they don't want to even think about another destiny. They want to think that everybody's going to be okay going to heaven. When I was at First Baptist Dallas, we had a, an evangelism in, uh, evangelist in and and uh, he spoke in, in, in the worship service. And, and he talked about when he met a movie star that was on, on the plane. And, and this movie star did a lot of uh, good work overseas. Man, I love to look at the old movies that this guy's in. And he did a lot of wonderful work for the Lord. And, or for the country and, and for the troops. And so this evangelist just turned to him and he said started talking to him about the Lord. And he said, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And he says, I know, I know about Jesus. He says, but I'm a Jew. And, and he said, okay. But he said, have you ever come to the point where you realize that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior? And he says, let me tell you something. He said, do you think God, who is a loving God, is not going to let me into heaven by me spending all my Christmases overseas, during the war, entertaining troops, bringing joy to them. He says, do you think God's going to keep me out of heaven because of that? And the evangelist said, yes. 
He's not going to, though. You're going to keep yourself out because you misunderstand. You don't see. You don't hear. We know a lot of good people, don't we? We have a lot of good neighbors. Matter of fact, some neighbors act better than some Christians. And they're lost. I mean, they don't steal. They don't cheat. They don't mistreat their family. They're good, upstanding people. Have you ever heard people say, well, God surely can't keep them out of heaven. They're good people. Well, there's going to be a lot of good people that are not going to be in heaven according to our standards because everyone the Bible says everyone is a sinner and everyone must come to faith in Christ to be saved and forgiven why in the world did a good God send his precious son to die on the cross to suffer a death that he did not deserve he was perfect in every way to be buried and to be raised again. Why in the world did he do that if he didn't see a need for us to be forgiven and to be saved and, and desiring for us to be in heaven? Now you want to talk about a good God? That is a good God. That's an awesome God. This is why Paul said in, in Romans, he, I mean in, in uh, Ephesians, you know, he was the top dog as far as religious person. One of the top dogs. He was a, considered a good person. And he said, we must be saved. How? For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Man, I've tried that. Lest we should boast about it. So Jesus is letting them know there's going to be this kind of crowd of people. Some will come to hear you. And didn't they do that? Didn't the Pharisees do that? Didn't they have a hard time breaking away from the Phariseeistic type of lifestyle and accepting Gentiles into the, to the church even? I mean, they struggled with that in the first century. But they came to realize that it's by grace through faith. And that alone. And this is the same thing with us today. He goes, and, and I want us to close with this. He says, he tells us in the parable, if you'll look at verses 37 through 43, Jesus begins by identifying himself. He answered and said, the ones who sow the good seed is the son of man. So he's identifying who the one, the, the good seed who, who brings the good seed about is who? It is Jesus, the son of man. It's a title that Jesus used. And then second of all, where was he sowing? He was sowing in the world, it says. The field is the world. Not really the church. But there is good and bad seed in the church. And then he says, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. That's those who believe. The tares, the weeds, are the sons of the evil one. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and read. That, that's who we are. We're, 
we're, you know, if we're lost, we're children of darkness. And the harvest, the harvest is at the end of the age. And he says, the reapers will be my angels. The tares will be gathered up, he says, by the angels and uh, burned with fire. All stumbling blocks, he says, will be gathered out of his kingdom and those who commit lawlessness. Now, he's not talking about the kingdom of heaven uh, where they've been allowed into the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about overall kingdom. He rules his world. We think sometimes Satan is in charge. Satan is not in charge. In charge, He only allows Satan to go just so far. God is sovereign. One thing that is big difference here between, he says, and there will be, uh, uh, they'll be cast into the uh, furnace uh, of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, over in Revelation, man, we don't take it symbolically. Jesus is talking about this where death and hell is cast into the lake of fire forever. You know what forever means? It means that they don't cease to exist. They continue to exist. You know one of the big difference between the old atheists and the new atheists? The new atheists are more open. There's more openness. They're more honest, believe it or not. The, uh, the old atheists would say, I don't believe in God, but Jesus may have been a good teacher. They, they wanted to smooth it out a little bit, you know, make, make it feel comfortable. The new atheists, you know what they say? I don't believe in God, nor do I believe that Jesus is a good teacher or a good moral person. Christopher Hitchens, one of the new atheists. He brings this out. They say that every time Jesus teaches, he divides people. I don't believe he's a good moral person because he divides people. There are those who accept him and those who reject him. Now we can say that the new atheists may be wrong in their beliefs, but at least they're right there, aren't they? Because Jesus did say he came to divide. I mean, there's either truth or non-truth. There's even either heaven or hell. And we can say that the new atheists uh, are wrong in, in all that they believe, but this one thing, they're right on target. The field is divided. Humanity is divided between the good seed and the bad seed. There'll be judgment at the end of the times. And then... He says back in Matthew, the Son of Man, Jesus, will send forth his angels. They will gather out of the kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. That is a place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. We will shine forth in his kingdom. Amen. We will enjoy all the evil, all the sin, all the sickness that comes with it, and death cast away, and we will be with him forever and ever. And all God's people said. So he says, he who has ears, let him hear.
Be careful, he says, to the disciples. There is division. Don't try to work it out. Like we saw in the Middle Ages and other times where you take it into your own hands to wipe out those that don't believe the same way you do. There is coming a day, and that day will be the judgment day. So what are we to do? We're to be faithful, knowing that we have a hope, knowing that our hope is to be with God forever in a better place, in a life that will be better forever and ever and ever for all eternity. Tell others about that. But don't be deceived. Just because a person may seem good, may talk right, and may even do good at times. Don't allow that to keep you from being a witness to them and with them about the good news. Let's bow our heads in prayer.